You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Awesome. I love the energy today. Way to go. We've got a bunch of empty seats here on this front row. I'm not that bad. You guys can come sit here. I know some folks are standing in the back. Uh, really glad to see you guys this morning. Um, I, as you sit down, I'm going to actually make you stand up for the reading of God's scripture. So if you would stand. You'll hear a little bit today that there's a little, a little things are different today, so we don't have a reader, so I will read for us, and I'll tell you more in a moment, but we don't even have the slides, so you'll have to listen attentively. I'm reading from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you guys can be seated. Well, good morning again, Midtown family. It is a joy uh, to worship together this morning. Uh, it's got us so worthy of our time this morning, our attention, our focus, and our worship. And so let's make much of him today. I do see there's some new people here, so let me introduce myself. My name is Jake Box. Um, inside joke for sure. If you are new, I'm not Jake Box. My name is Justin Christopher. Jake Box is our lead pastor. I'm our associate pastor. And Jake was supposed to be teaching uh, this morning, but he came down with a bad case of the flu. It's not COVID. He's been tested. It's not COVID, but uh, Chris is here, so she's fine too. So we can be praying for Jake uh, for certain. I know he is super bummed that he had to miss the Christmas party, super bummed that he couldn't be here this morning and to continue our series in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jake actually made the call late third Friday afternoon. He, he gave the, the bullpen sign, <laughs> which was a phone call to me, and I became what we might call the relief preacher or the relief teacher, <laughs> relief pitcher. Um, Friday evening was really packed for me, and then Saturday I had uh, several things. We had a great party that we had together on Saturday, and so I didn't have time to actually continue in the series of the Sermon on the Mount. And so today's going to be a little bit more of a one-off, which is kind of funny because it's happened earlier in the year with college when I was supposed to, when someone, one of the students was supposed to speak at Midtown College, and then I became a relief pitcher on that week too. And so I'm running that sermon back. So you, you students get, that, get to hear it twice. There's a few of you that I see here. That just means you didn't get it the first time. And God sovereignly, sovereignly arranged this. We do believe that God's in control. And uh, we will continue our Sermon on the Mount series. God's in control and trust that he has some good things for us this morning. Um, but just wanted to let you know that. Uh, when I prepared this last minute message for the college students, I was able to actually fit in with the theme that they were doing because I had a full day to work on it uh, during, in that case. And they were actually doing a theme, reading a book called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so I was able to fit something within the theme. And what they were doing in particular is in the first couple chapters of this book, the author lays out what he calls 10 symptoms that mean that you might be emotionally unhealthy in your spiritual walk with God. And I was given the assignment to address, uh, to talk about one of those. Some of the students and Josh had already picked out several, so there was only a few. And then Josh assigned me the one that I struggle with the most. I'm like, thanks, Josh. Make me, make me teach on that one now. The truth is that I had a few choices, and of the one that I identified I struggled with the most, I was like, yeah, I probably ought to think about this one. This would be good for me. If not for the students, if I just give a day to thinking about this, this will be good for my heart because um, that's something that I really needed. 
And I think it's fitting to do here on this morning too, because you might not know it, but we have one of our trading huddles is going through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. So how many of you guys are, are doing that right now? I think we have about 30 people. Michael's really excited about it. 30, we got about 30 people in our church who are doing this, so it could be relevant, I hope, uh, to things that you've been, you've been diving into over the course of this semester in your training huddles too. And so I love that so many people are reading this book. I actually read it about 10 years ago when I was on staff with my campus ministry, and our staff team read it together. I've read it twice since. In fact, I uh, read it for the, finished my third reading of it actually this morning. And it paints such a really good and really kind of a different picture of what it means to actually be spiritually formed and how to grow in Christ uh, and how it's really different from a lot of the ways that we think about spiritual maturity. And I hope everyone in our training huddles has really enjoyed it. I know I've heard from several, several of you that you have. And so what Josh asked me to do with the students, I'm going to do again today. And he said, what I want you to do is pick this one particular. So remember, there's 10 symptoms. He said, pick one of them and then describe how that looks. Like, tell us how you know if maybe you're succumbed to this symptom of unhealthy emotional spirituality. And then at the very end, he said, I want you to give like an anecdote. Like, give something that could be like, what's the antidote that would maybe solve or help cure this symptom that we might be experiencing? And so that's what I'm going to try to do today. Um, And the one that I picked of the 10 is this one. The symptom I chose to speak about and I'll speak about today is doing for God instead of being with God. He describes this as one of the symptoms of unhealthy, emotional, emotionally unhealthy spirituality, doing things, doing things for God more than being with God. And I know for me that is uh, described kind of like he describes it in the book. It's the idea of being your life being completely full of activity, of doing things for God all the time, which in and of itself is not bad, right? But when it's void of being with God and a rich relationship with God that fuels the rest of the things you're doing for God, that's when it becomes unhealthy. That's when it becomes emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And I'm sure that if we all looked at the 10 different, you guys who are actually reading the books, you probably looked through the 10 different symptoms and you could all pick like two or three that you're like, yeah, that's where I need to grow in those two. Well, if I did all that, this would be the one for me. So I'm definitely coming to you like Paul called himself the chief of sinners. On this one, I am struggling the worst at it. So you can either look at it two ways. I have no authority or I have all authority to speak on this because, <laughs> because this, is, this is my battle. I know some of y'all like, uh, like doing personality tests or things like that. Y'all have done those before. Uh, one of the ones that I like best is called Strength Finders. Discover Your Strength is the name of the book. And when you do the Strength Finders, uh, I come out number one. My number one, they have all these different names for the things. My number one is an achiever. Now, let me tell you what an achiever is, how they define it, and then help, help me think about if it might be hard for someone who's an achiever to not want to just do things for God all the time and prioritize that over being with God. Here's how they describe an achiever. People exceptionally talented in the achiever theme work hard to possess a great deal of stamina. They work hard and possess a great deal of stamina. They take immense satisfaction in being busy and productive. Your achiever theme helps explain your drive. Achiever describes the constant need for attainment. They feel as each day starts at zero, and by day's end, you must achieve something tangible to feel good about yourself. And by every day, I mean every single day, work days, weekends, and vacations. That's how they describe it. So... Someone who has that personality is going to struggle, I think, to be able to prioritize being with God, not just doing things for God. And it's going to get someone like that, like myself, emotionally unhealthy place if I don't prioritize being with God. 
I mean, like as an achiever, I'm the guy that like makes the bed. The first thing you do when you wake up. So like the second you wake up, boom, accomplish something. Like right there, right? <laughs> I'm definitely that guy. I'm the guy that can't sit still on, on my day off. You know, I just want to be busy doing something. I can make a, a good Sabbath and not do midtown work, but I still want to go do something productive in the house or in the yard or accomplish something. And I always have tasks in my little to-do list. Any to-do list people out there? Yeah, you like your to-do list? Yeah, like if I do something on, that, that wasn't on my to-do list, I'll actually write it on my to-do list just so I have the satisfaction of crossing it off. Like, like that's the kind of thing that I do. Uh, my, my old job, uh, one, of the, one of, the, of my coworkers used to call me the pastor of get stuff done. And so it's just like, I like to do stuff. And I, I wonder why. It's part of it's our personality, but part of it's actually just the environments that we grew up in that shape us. And so I grew up in a family um, that the way that we bonded was by doing things together. We just did a lot of doing things together. I remember really early in our marriage, Brenda was shocked at how fast my family ate their meals clean their plates so they can move on to playing games. She's like, y'all are a bunch of, just devour your food. Let's just, let's just go, let's go, let's clean up and play some games. And I was equally shocked when I went to get to know her family and they would eat and then leave the dirty dishes on the table and like talk for two hours. And I'm like, come on, we gotta go do something. It, just, it was just too much. And it's not to say that either family is right or wrong. If you're doing the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, you know that they actually talk a lot about how you need to examine your family history, and that really uh, shapes a lot of how you grow in Christ or maybe the struggles that you're going to have as you try to grow. So it's not that one family is different or better. The point is that we all come from different families. We all have different personalities that, that shape us in positive and in negative ways, which make us prone to one of these 10 symptoms, I would say, if not multiple. And for me... This is definitely the one. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I saw some of y'all raising your hands and nodding. I think that you can say that. And I would say that one of the things that also shapes us is not just our personalities, not just our family of origin, but one thing that shapes us is our culture. And if you were to look at the American culture, you would have to say that it's very much an achievement-minded culture, right? It's all about achievement and upward mobility. It's about fulfilling the American dream. You know, for, the, for the most part in our country, with certain exceptions, of course, in our country, a person gets rewarded for how hard they work and they get rewarded for how well they perform. You're incentivized for production, right? Whether you did well in your class, whether you sold the most gadgets, whether you had met your quotas, we're incentivized to produce and produce to the bottom line. And I've noticed even as Austin is growing as a city that I believe that we've become more of a doing city rather than a being city. Like back when I first came to Austin, it was known as like the hippie, hip, hippie city. It was just a bunch of laid back hippie town. I don't think it's like that anymore. In fact, it's a little bit anecdotal, but I did do 20 years of campus ministry, and one of the things that I noticed in all my years of doing campus ministry, in fact, people would say, like, what's the biggest change in students since, since you were a student way back in 1991? And I said, oh, man, that's clear. The biggest thing is that now UT is an academic school, and people come to perform and get grades. Like, I came to school, just got, did not even know, I literally didn't even know what my major was when I got here. And I got here in 91, I just got accepted to the school because I was in the top 10% of my class, so I got into UT for free, or didn't even have to apply, got in. Literally the first day I was like, oh, where do I go to class? What's happening? But now, you know, it's not top 10%. It depends, you have to apply to different schools, and you gotta get in the top seven, or in some cases the top 2%. And one thing I notice is the students who are coming here are much more driven and performance-oriented. And that causes some good things and some bad things. Like early in my days of campus ministry at UT, I would have to challenge students to, to stop resting so much and get out and go do something for God. And like in the back end of my 20 years of doing campus ministry was the opposite. I was saying, you need to focus. You're doing too many things for God. You need to learn to be with God. And I don't think that that's just an anecdote. I think that that's true of 
of our culture and where we're at right now. So whether you have the personality, the family of origin, I can say at least the very least, you're fighting against this because it's the American culture. And that's what we heard in the very first story that we found, that if we get caught up in this type of culture, what can happen is we can get off track spiritually and think that all this doing stuff for God, absence of being with God, is spiritual maturity when it's actually emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Martha found herself in that, pa- in that, in that passage that I read, right? Martha got stuck uh, off track herself, and she was the one that was busy doing all this work for Jesus, but what did it produce in her? You see a few things. It produced anxiety. It produced anger. It produced judgment. Does that sound like spiritual maturity? Does that sound like spiritual formation? Not hardly. And so we can do all the things for God, but absent being with God, we actually get spiritually malformed or deformed, whereas Mary had chosen the most important thing. She had chosen to be with Jesus. And so in our time this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to take this one symptom of being, do, doing things for God instead of being with God, take that one symptom and describe four ways that I've at least seen it played out in my life. And hopefully, kind of challenging these four ways, you might be able to identify some ways that it might be playing out in your life as well. But before I do, I want to, I want to say why this is so difficult. This is so difficult because we're actually made to do both. Listen to the way that Mark talks about Jesus calling his disciples in Mark chapter 3, 14. Oh, I also forgot to mention that Jake does all of our slides. Y'all didn't know that, so y'all need to thank him for doing all of our slides. And so this week, this week I said, hey, don't do slides. Just get well, and you can do that. So I apologize that we don't have slides like normal. Uh, thank Jake for always doing my sermon slides that take him about an hour and a half and that I don't do because I don't know how. All right. <laughs> so if it were up there or in your Bibles, or I could just read the verse and listen. You've got to listen attentively this morning. Mark three fourteen. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You get it? He appointed the 12 that they could be with him and that they would go do stuff for him, or you might even say do stuff with him. That's why this is so difficult. It's because both are true. Like God does want us to be with him and he wants us to go do things for him. And that's the tension. It's a both and. But it's like what I want to kind of draw an illustration for you all to think about today is like a teeter-totter. Like, if you know that you need to be with God and God's going to call you to do things for him, just look at it like a teeter-totter. And what happens when you get unhealthy spirituality is when you start doing more things for God than being with God, that's when it gets unhealthy. It can get unhealthy the other way, but I would argue, like I already did, that I feel like in our culture, if it's going to lean one way primarily, and particularly in our stream of the body of Christ, it's going to lean on this side where you just end up doing more stuff for God, and that's where you get out of balance with the teeter-totter. So when you're overweight on the teeter-totter, at least these four things could happen. The first thing is this. You begin to relate to God in a way of earning his love rather than receiving it. You begin to relate to God in a way of earning his love rather than receiving it. So spiritually healthy people, they do a lot of things for God, but they do it out of the overflow of God's love for them. They spend a lot of time with God and with being with God, they receive his love to such a degree that when they do things for God, that's actually what moves them to do things for God. But when the teeter-totter turns and we slowly begin to do things for God, more than being with God, what happens is we shift from receiving God's love to thinking that we earn it by doing some of the things that we do for him. And in so doing so, we no longer operate out of an overflow of God's love for us. Instead, at best, we're just doing something out of duty, or at worst, we're doing something to try to earn God's approval or favor. You hear us say it most every week, like one of the things that we say in our identity statement, it's why it's there in the very start. It says that we've been compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus. That's intentional that we have it there because we want to 
emphasize this side of the teeter-totter. We want to say, no, we're compelled by God's love to do these things. We want to be with God. And then, yes, we do want to practice the way and do things for God. We take that directly from a passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that we are compelled by God's love because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's Christ's love that compels me, he says. So he and his band of missionaries believe that it's Christ's love that compels us because we're convinced that he died for all. And that's why we have to do that. That's another reason why we do communion every single week on Sunday. Because at the end of our service, we don't want to go out with you guys thinking, oh, now we've got to you know, be challenged to go do all this stuff for God this week. We want to come back to the place of communion every single week and take pause to say, no, we need to reflect on how God has loved us. We need to be with God and, and consider how much he's loved us. And we'll be compelled by love like Paul said he was. That can happen to you, though. If you flip the teeter-totter, what's going to happen is you're going to think that you earn God's love by what you do for him rather than operating and doing this for God out of an abundance of the overflow of the love that you've received. Second symptom of the symptom might be this. You begin to please people more than please God. You make it your aim to please people more than please God. You see, spiritually healthy people, they do things for God, but they do it out of a great desire to please God. Like that's their primary motive. Their eyes are on Jesus, and they joyfully do things for God for his pleasure, for his glory. All their time being with God moves them, and it moves their hearts to, to want to please God. But when the teeter-totter turns, what happens is we slowly begin to do things for God more than being with God. Our motives get pretty mixed. Instead of things doing things solely based to please God, we start slowly doing things to please other people. We begin to fear man more than we fear. We're the type of people that can't say no when we're asked to serve, and we become performers doing everything to win other people's approval or to please people. Have you felt that before? I'm sure you have, like me. The Apostle Paul knew this was a temptation, and so multiple times he talks about this, this wrestling that he had. When he writes to the Church of Galatia, he says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He was wrestling with it. He knew. And knowing that there's a slippery slope there, he actually told the church at Corinth something simple, similar. He said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. God is my judge. Like it's a battle. And that teeter-totter, we can flip it to where instead of doing things primarily for an audience of one and out of joy to please God and bring him glory, we suddenly start to do things to please man, to get the approval of others. This temptation to perform, uh, I used to see it uh, play out a lot when I talked about the drivenness of UT students. Every April, every campus ministry and every college ministry church does this, so that every April you're recruiting your leaders for the next year. And so everyone's recruiting, and often you're recruiting the same leaders, and they're in this kind of pinch where they've got to decide, like, oh, am I going to be part of this ministry or this ministry, this leadership team or this leadership team? And I would see students get so bound up in it that I actually created, like, this little, little, little graph that was, like, good reasons to say no and bad reasons to say no. Good reasons to say yes and bad reasons to say yes. And every time we did our recruitment, I'd hand this out and say, you need to use this as you pray about this. And the top of the list for bad reasons to say yes, people-pleasing. But that's what's going to happen. If we start to think about doing things for God and performing for others rather than doing it for his own pleasure and glory. Second danger is when we put, uh, second danger is that we're going to fall into doing things for pleasure more, or to please people more than God. Third danger, third symptom of the symptom is that you, you start to think or believe that what you're doing is more important than who you're becoming. You start to think that what you're doing is more important than who you're becoming. So spiritually healthy people, they do things for God, 
but they know what they do is far less important than who they're becoming. They know that spiritual maturity is less about the activity that they're doing and more about their heart and how God's shaping them internally. Their time being with God is intimate, it's personal, and they ask God to change them from the inside out. But when the teeter-totter turns, we slowly begin to do things for God more than being with God. We lose sight, and our heart focuses more on the things that we do than the things that God's doing in us. And we start to think that outward activity is more important than our growing character. It's the proverbial forest through the trees that we lose it. And we think just merely outer appearances are most important. And we know who Jesus talked about the most like this, right? It was the Pharisees. He criticized them constantly for the way that they just focused on the exterior of their lives, but their hearts weren't right. And he knew that true spiritual formation is not just all the activity that you do and your religious things that you do. It's what's happening in your heart. The character is more important than what you do. Who you're becoming is more important than what you're doing. To the Pharisees, he said this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. You see, Jesus wants to change us from the inside. He wants our hearts, and he wants to form us from the inside. But when we get the teeter-totter, we just think about our activity and our doing for God is more important than being with God and letting him change us. That's another one of these symptoms. And sadly, sometimes it's a symptom that the church actually perpetuates because we might reward people for their performance and their outward activity. And sometimes pastors and leaders can put people in places of position just because of gifts or things that they do and they've never really taken the time to say, no, true development is if your heart and what's going on in your heart. How are you growing and how is your character being shaped? And this has led to some of the tragic falls from grace that we've seen uh, throughout our time and throughout the church. Like, we can't be complicit with this either. The third danger is when we put, we think that what we do for God is what forms us instead of who we're becoming. And fourth, last one here, as you'll experience spiritual burnout instead of the life-giving work of the Spirit in your life. Like, when you start to just focus on doing things just for God and not being with God equally or more so, you're going to experience spiritual burnout instead of the life-giving work of the Spirit in your life. So spiritually healthy people, they're able to sustain doing many things for God. Like they have a great ability to sustain doing things for God because they're constantly renewed by being with God. Like it's their time with God that renews them and gives them the energy and the capacity to keep going and doing things for God in joyful ways. But when the teeter-totter turns and we slowly begin to do things for God more than being with God, we run out of what we desperately need to continue to do and have the stamina to do things for God. What once was a delight turns into duty, and then duty without delight becomes burnout. Jesus was a human just like us, and in his humanity, he knew this. He had the capacity to work extended hours and minister and minister and minister, but only because he constantly was getting away to be with God, and it was his being with God that fueled him to be able to do things for God. I love in the, the, the Gospel of Luke, especially. I don't know what, for what reason Luke records it more than the others, but in Luke 1 through 11, it's just like Jesus does stuff, then he prays. Then he does stuff, he sneaks off to pray. I jokingly said Luke should have been subtitled Luke, things Jesus did after he prayed. Because that's what you see, the pattern of his life. He knew if I have to, if I have to stay in this work for God, boy, I better, be God, I better be with God all the time. Perfectly balanced teeter-totter for Jesus. 
a pastor who uh, discipled me after college, and he was a, kind of a group of about 40 young men that knew they wanted to go into the ministry. He taught us this one phrase that stuck with me. He said, if you're pastors, you have to know this phrase. He said, if your output is greater than your intake, then your upkeep will be your downfall. So if your output is greater than your intake, then your upkeep will be your downfall. If your output, all the stuff you're doing for God is greater than your intake, your time being with God, your output, I mean, it's going to lead to your downfall. You can't keep that up. We're meant to be with God so that we can ultimately do things for God. But if you focus and the teeter-totter turns and you're just doing things for God without being with Him, you're destined for spiritual burnout. When I think about the symptom and these four dangers, um, I think about human relationships because in a human relationship, you can actually really see it and feel it. Maybe these are kind of etherical or maybe you haven't experienced them in your own walk with God, but you can look at other relationships that you have and see how these same dangers kind of portray themselves out in, in relationships, especially in an intimate relationship like a marriage. Like far too often I've seen uh, couples grow cold in their marriages when they become more about doing things than actually being with each other. I've seen it. You've seen young couples in, in love with each other and they're spending so much time together and all they want to do is be together, but watch it over the course of time. And they get families and they get work and finances and situations and pretty soon they become what my friend calls the butler and the maid marriage. They've got their tasks, they're doing their duties, they do what they need to do, but they've lost the intimacy in their relationship. As it can happen in a marriage or a friendship, the same can be true of us in our walk with God. That's the danger of doing things for God above being with God. To be honest, in a very tangible way, this happened one time in my marriage in a very concrete way. <clears throat> Brendan and I used to run a lot of errands together, and that was just something that we liked spending time together. And I remember distinctly there was one conversation years into our marriage where uh, we were talking about stuff we wanted to do for the day, and she's like, well, why don't we just go run errands? And she had like a list, and I said, well, that seems kind of silly. Like, how about you do those things, and I'll do these things, and then we'll like accomplish much more in a faster period of time. You're not laughing because that was painful, wasn't it? <laughs> it, was, it, was not a, it was not a good moment. I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this, this kind of being with is kind of important, and it's actually something that she wants. Like, yeah, I had lost my way. And so you have to commit yourself, even within the context of your marriage, to being with each other. It's a real similar way the way it plays out. So this episode, that conversation was a very stark example, probably the most drastic that I've had in my life to, to, to bring revelation to how the fact that I had focused so much on doing over being, and when I do that, I can hurt my marriage and I can hurt my relationship with God instead of being spiritually formed in an emotionally healthy way, I can become emotionally unhealthy in my spirituality. So I hope this helped you think through the symptoms, maybe you thought about some of the ways that you might be prone to do this. That was my first goal when Josh told me he had helped identify the systems. The second thing he asked me to do was to come up with an antidote. Like what is something, a pill, so to speak, that we could take, something that we can do that will help us battle against this and help us learn to be with God. And so I'm gonna make up a new word this morning. I'm gonna call it unasking prayer. That's my antidote, unasking prayer. What I mean by that is sometimes prayer is what's called intercessory prayer, where you're praying for God to do stuff. Like, do this and answer this prayer, move in this person's life, do this, come through for me, provide for me. Whatever things you're asking for, those are, those are great, but in one way, those are kind of like doing prayers. Those are kind of like doing stuff with God prayers. You're asking him, and it's wonderful. We should pray that way. So don't hear me say we're not supposed to pray that way. God invites us to participate in his sovereignty through prayer, and man, we ought to pray intercessory prayers. But what I'm saying is the anecdote, one possible anecdote, is unasking prayer. It's prayer without asking for anything. It's just being with God can look several different ways, and you could probably come up with more. It can look like just sitting with God and talking to him about your feelings. Just say, God, I'm kind of feeling this way. And just talk to him about how you're feeling. It can be sitting quietly and trying to reflect back on the last day, 
not asking for anything, but just taking a moment to think of things that you'd be grateful for, things that God did during that day. It can be listening to or singing worship songs, not asking for anything, but just experiencing the presence of God and drawing your attention to how great He is. It could be journaling, just writing about your thoughts, your feelings, or the things that happened in the previous day. Or it could be simple silence, like just sitting in silence until you can acknowledge God's presence and believe that He is there with you. But just silence. That's what I mean by unasking prayer. And you've, you've heard us talk about this, and I know many of you started it. There's some in the back, but we created this Advent prayer guide so that these 28 days of Advent that we have, each of those days has at least one, usually two, just unasking prayers where you're just reading a scripture and you're taking a moment to think about and contemplate the coming of Christ without asking for anything, just, just meditating on it. We want, we want to do that together as a spiritual family. These and many more are the ways that you can have this antidote, how you can practice being with God so that you can prioritize being with God, not just do things for God. I would challenge you to try to do this for five to 15 minutes a day. Just sit and have an unasking time of prayer with God. Uh, we American achievers, uh, we can learn to live a new emotionally healthy spiritual lives. It's going to take some work. It's going to take work for some of us more than others, myself at the top of that list. But it's worth the reward because the reward is God. The reward is getting to be with God. And what a reward that is. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue worship through communion and offering. God, we do want to grow in our spiritual formation. We don't want to just be about doing things for you. We want to be with you. And we pray that, that whatever way you spoke to each person here, that real action would be taken. And this, even this Advent in a busy season of Christmas, where we just maybe don't do stuff for you, but we just do a lot of stuff. Let this be a different year where we just really get time to be with you. And meet us there. Meet us there in a way that changes our lives and makes us emotionally healthy, spiritually growing people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.